0: Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing curious Lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vells, and/or and/or on Twitter at FlourishingHE. And please let me know what's your favorite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing, wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. hello and welcome to another powerful imperfectly perfect conversation for the flourishing education podcast today i'm delighted to bring to you michelle blanchet a very warm welcome to the podcast michelle
1: yeah thanks for having me on i'm excited to chat we've spoken before so should be interesting today
0: yes wonderful so yeah for the listeners um i have uh, had a preview to what's coming because i had a wonderful conversation with michelle um you know a few weeks ago so um yeah it should be really interesting and i'm looking forward to this conversation um to get us started michelle because our listeners may not know, know who you are and where you are based would you share a little bit of your journey thus far
1: Sure. So I am American. I now live in right just outside Geneva, Switzerland. Uh, I'm a former teacher. I've taught it in the U.S. and in Switzerland. Uh, My journey has been. um, Where does one start? (laughs) Um, It's been interesting. I'll I'll mostly focus, I think, on my education journey. Uh, So as a teacher in the U.S., I remember feeling a bit. I'm going to say jaded just because I didn't feel like education was doing what it should to ensure that my students would thrive when they left, you know, the school, when they left the classroom. Uh, and that's kind of set me uh, professionally on an interesting career to which I get to explore the things that I think will actually impact students the most um, and think about pathways so that we can ensure that school is setting our students up for success. Uh, when I say that, you know, what does success mean? I really mean, I hope my students have a good quality of life. I hope they have meaningful work. I hope they have health, well being, purpose. Um, and so, just to kind of set that as a framework, um, it's made me think very differently about education, the topics that we cover, uh, and the types of skills that we give students so that they can have that version of success that um, I think is so important.
0: Amazing. And and obviously the that you mentioned pathways. So the, you, what you described to me seems very like a different pathway from what I currently see in, in the education system Um, which is what made me research right that our young people indeed I'm talking about England but I do think that it's similar in a lot of countries this sort of like hamster wheel SATs GCSEA levels you know university definition of success right success in the current education system is, you know, loads of diplomas and, and a good job, um, not quite the sense of purpose and meaning and all the other things you describe. So could we go there? I mean, do you feel that the, the pathways are different pathways?
1: Um, no, I feel like this is the same in a lot of places, and it's complicated, right? So I feel like same sort of pathways exist in many places. A lot of people are questioning those pathways. It's very complicated to change the pathways. Um, even even as, an, as a school, if you wanted to change them, you know, are parents on board with changing these pathways? So I, I mean, there's just there. It's, it's all very loaded. Um, but I do think, and I do think, COVID helped highlight this. People want to do things differently. And it's a matter of how do we get there and how can we each work on that piece to make things different. So, you know, I feel like in education right now, there's so much noise because everyone wants to change everything. Uh, And for me, what's interesting is, um, I mean, the world is just when we talk about the world changing fast, I feel like we're at a really critical point in humanity where we really need to think about what counts. Um, In a lot of different places, you know, we're seeing democracy become more fragile. We're seeing um, climate change. Really, we're experiencing it now. It's taking its toll. Um, And so when we think about student success and what our students need, it, it does look very different than, you know, even when we were younger and going to school. And I think people want to be able to do more But because it's such a big, complicated, you know, wicked problem, if you will, uh, it can leave us feeling um, overwhelmed, uh, kind of hopeless. And I think that's why, you know, exploring what we can do is a good way to think about how we change education. You know, what's in our control? What are those pathways that we do have? Because I think we all feel better when we're doing something. And then, how do we also instill our youth with pathways so that they don't feel hopeless and anxious about the state of things, that they feel like they can contribute towards something that they find meaningful and impactful? And so, what can we do?
0: Um, you know, in that in that sense of you know that feeling uh, I was sharing with you before we we press record, how um, my emotions have been like all over the place recently. Um, the you know be, oscillating between frustration, anger, to like what's the point, to you know it's too big, all of those things. Um, so yeah, I would love you. To, to share, you know, I, I get a sense of, you know, very often when I have that sense of overwhelm that it's a too big a, a, a task, it's possibly because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, what's in my locus of, of, uh, of concern rather than locus of control, right? What can I specifically do? Um, but it's so easy to get caught into that sort of thinking, right? um so and I'm sure I mean I I see it with a lot of my colleagues who are on the hamster wheel and you know sort of like going going um I'm sure they would really appreciate anything you can share with them to to help them possibly
1: (laughs) yes this is something I think we've all experienced I know I've gone through that myself um so I I do have to say you asked earlier about my journey and one thing that I feel really changed my, my mindset was learning about social entrepreneurship. So I had done a master's, um, uh, in Spain. And I mentioned this because it was at a business school, even though I was, I, I, it was it's mostly known for business, but uh, I was learning, uh, I was doing international relations. So just as a background, as a teacher, I'm social studies. Um, so I was kind of curious to go to a new country, experience something. I wanted to learn Spanish because I did have a, a, a lot of students that spoke it. Um, so overall, unique experience. Um, but when I was there, what I was not expecting, uh, they had something called a social responsibility forum. So I, I signed up to to help organize and run it. And I got to learn so much about this unique field of social entrepreneurship, which I hadn't known before. And so if other people are not familiar, it's when a business is mission driven. So um, it's purpose you know, over profits, even though you do want to be sustainable. And in some countries, so I know the U.S. the best, so I'll focus on that one. Uh, we really have a for-profit versus nonprofit sort of dichotomy, and they compete because we have oh, nonprofits—they're so good. But what a- actually happens is nonprofits are often spending a really large amount of their time competing for one another over a limited pool of funds because they are having to rely on donation donations to sustain themselves. So I, you know, social business is great because we are um, relying on ourselves. So we're still doing that mission, you know that purpose-driven work of a nonprofit but we're able to spend more time fulfilling that mission because we're not having to go around and ask and search for funds. Um, And so in any case, I like this because within social entrepreneurship um there were so many people and they had no business background uh so uh i saw people getting together and they would often use something called a business model canvas and they would wanna know if an idea had value. And the goal was to solve a problem. They noticed something in their community, they noticed something with the environment, they noticed something in whatever industry that they were in, and they wanted to do something. And I was like, this is great. Why aren't we doing this in education? Uh, Because, I mean, two reasons. Number one, to go back to the social economy thing. I have a sick child at home.
0: no worries and you know what this is why I call an imperfectly perfect podcast I love it it's like I think for me in education, there's far too much perfection. So when 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 young people come in, it's like, well, you know what? Yeah, let be let them be part yeah. of the of the podcast. It's exactly. absolutely all all good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm being asked a critical question about snack food. So in any case, sorry, I think someone is getting better. Um, <laughs> so in any case, um, yeah. So with social entrepreneurship, number one, I think. I'm just a big fan of entrepreneurial thinking, and I like this social lens because when we talk about meaningful work, this is a way to also prepare youth. Like, we're starting to talk about the fifth industrial revolution, we're starting to see business be part of the solution. If we want purpose driven companies, purpose driven work, we should instill this type of values in our youth and at an early, at an early age, right? Because basically, we're saying, how do we tap into your ingenuity so you can do good and you know do meaningful work? So this is already one thing that I love about social entrepreneurship. But the second thing is I noticed with this model of people getting together to solve problems, this was something we, we should be doing in schools. Um, I don't care what schools you go to. I don't care where in the world. Uh, usually teachers have really great ideas about what ought to be done at the school for their students, for their classroom. And I, I wonder sometimes uh, how much we are tapping into the knowledge and expertise of the people in the building because usually those that are closest to the problem are closest to a solution and when I say that I don't mean that students are problems or that you know there's a one size off solution or anything but We are constantly having to be agile as educators, you know what works in one class might not work in another different students need different things, Uh, the world is changing so we need to be agile and adapt to that, Um, you know, here um, so many I was so impressed with how many families took in refugees, for instance right. Uh, you know, imagine not being agile enough to address this, uh, you know, schools and, and, and communities were welcoming um, new students and, and everyone was trying to quickly change and, and be agile so they can help. And so for me, it's really critical that we create spaces where people, you know, can be agile and use their agency to do good. And I think learning about things like social entrepreneurship, social innovation can help contribute to that um, on multiple layers
0: mm amazing and so you you mentioned that sense of purpose um so one of the things that i noticed when i went back to, to the university in 2014 with, with young people is that a lot of young people actually find it really challenging in the sense that when you start talking about purpose they then feel like they have to have this great big mission where they're going to be like changing the world and and i i do i would love us to explore that concept of purpose and meaning because sometimes and i think it's because of our the construct of our society right there are heroes and and a hero who goes on this journey and you know and so sometimes people may feel or think that the big purpose is to be like this hero who's going to change the world right um and I would love to have your take on that um you know perhaps because a lot of the young people I see they just go but I don't know what my big lofty goal is or you know how I'm gonna make a difference and I think that really that that tallies back to Sometimes that feeling that I've experienced, but I've seen with other people where you're really feeling like hopeless and, you know, not so hopeful because you don't quite know, I guess.
1: So my brain went a few ways on this. Um, trying to collect my thoughts. So the first thing I agree with is this hero mindset. We need to get away from that. We need collective leadership. And when we talk about that, it means everyone doing what they can to push an idea forward. But the world does not need one person to act as a superhero. Because like we just talked about, you know, different solutions look different in different places. And even if you have a solution, guess what? You're probably gonna have to change it pretty soon. All you can do is try things um, and you're going to have to keep evolving. And too often in the superhero mentality, it becomes a bit ego-driven and this is across industries. And then you think you have the solution. As soon as you start thinking you have the end all for any of these macro problems, this is, uh, this is a bit, this should be a bit of a red flag. Um, just because you have, you may have a great idea and it might be something good to try. Um, but that, but that's, that's it. So even if somebody else likes your idea, they're probably going to take it and mold it and make their own and that's a good thing. Um, and so. I think getting away from some of this um, hero mentality is great. And it's also a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Why would you just be human, do your part, and understand that you're contributing with everyone else to do their part. And we go further this way. And I also think we're a lot happier this way because, um, I, yeah, it's, it's not up to you. You're not going to save the world by yourself. All you can do is be a decent person and do your best. And I think that's going to be okay. Um, I think the other thing is this... I I do think sometimes the way we approach um, this personalized learning, purpose driven stuff for me it tends to be a bit um, backwards. I sometimes say I, I think with finding purpose and when so, so number one. I have asked students what their passions are and they don't have them necessarily they're 16 i get it but usually kids can tell me what makes them angry or what bothers them and so i tell them that's just something you care about so instead of having this big you know because i do think what you said is is dead on with you know they, they shouldn't feel a pressure to save the world and have some massive mission small is good um, and I think asking kids about things that bother them and things that they can do to contribute is where we should be at um, with these sorts of things, just because, you know, it's just more manageable and it's more human. Like, as soon as you say passion projects, it's like, oh my God, like, you can see in their face, like, oh, I need to do something, you know, amazing. And And again, it shouldn't be that way, but all students have something that bothers them, whether it's an equity, whether it's you know something with the environment. They all have something, and just giving them one manageable thing they can do to, to feel like they're contributing towards fixing it or you know making it better, they 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 feel empowered. You know, this is how you give kids hope because you just were able to chunk that up for them in a really nice digestible way. Um, I also think too, I I had done an exercise once with students. And we actually developed our own challenge questions because I think sometimes, too, you don't need to know what you're going to solve yet. But problem finding is good because at some point in your life, you will come across a unique opportunity to do something that only you know. You know, so for instance, if you're in supply chains, you know, maybe you're one of the only ones who noticed that cargo ships were running at X percent capacity and you could create an opportunity so that you know, they join forces and, you know, that we have less cargo ships going, which reduces emissions, blah, 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 blah. But in any case, my point is, is, um, you know, as we each go into our careers and it becomes more and more kind of niche, we, we learn about where we can do something. And so I think problem finding is big. So instead of, you know, always asking kids what their purpose is or their passion is, um, we can just start to, help them be more aware of the things that they care about or that bother them that they want to work towards and usually you need that caring so that you have the resilience to work towards it as well i think that's a really critical piece um and then also to just be able to problem find and sometimes that's developing like challenge questions like how do i mix my love for the arts with my concern for animals with you know, my strengths with talking with people, you know, and is in that way, when they have that question, they don't need to have a solution, but maybe it helps them more easily identify when an opportunity does arise. Um, I felt like you had talked about something else, but I don't remember there was something else I wanted to add yeah. to come back um
0: from. I, I can not maybe maybe we'll 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 recycle back to to that um I yeah, that's that that's really. I think that will be really helpful to a lot of people because I think the problems are definitely, uh, you know, yeah, there, there's many. And the other thing that when, as you were talking and sort of like really resonated with is in a lot of my model is around, um, you know, our young people being, you know, finding out who they are in this garden called life, right? So first of all, uh, knowing, you know, like exploring and, and being established in this garden. So it's sort of like, Holding that space for those young people to know who they are, because, like you were saying, some people will be making a contribution that is different in this garden called life from others. So that's the first thing I wanted to, you know, sort of like that for me. But also the fact that we are ever sort of changing, and you know that that I always, you know, I love uh, Eagleman and 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 uh, Dan Siegel, but for me, like what they both say that as the result of this conversation, this is why I do the podcast, is I will be changed after our conversation. And, you know, so will you and the listeners will too, right? Because it's that being changed in the process. And so I guess maybe part of the conversation that needs to be ha- happening is is also this, like the fact that it's an ever-emergent changing process, that it's not linear. Um, because when I you know, when I listen to the news or listen to some of the conversations, very often there is this notion that, you know, we've got here and now, like, you know, again, it's going to be, we're going to need a linear process. Um, and I don't know whether, you know, you, you want to talk to that or there's anything that pops up. for you.
1: So this was actually the thing I think I wanted to bring up is when I had said, I think sometimes we go a little bit backwards is Um, there was this great uh, podcast and it was on what the world demands of you and I I, and then I after that I had spoken to a student because she was like sometimes you know I don't want to talk about current events or something in the classroom and I was like but you don't always get a choice and so with you like we don't get to choose the time we live in we don't get to choose sometimes what what happens in the world, we can only choose how we step up. <laughs> and so, you know, is so for instance, you know, I said something I'm like the climate emergency. I would love for that not to be an issue right now. It would be great. If I got to choose, everything would be going great. Um and but it, but that's not the world I live in. That's not, I'm in this place right now and I what am I going to do? How do I step up? And so sometimes I do think in education, we're so focused on, you know, kids looking at themselves, like who, when we ask them, it's like, who are you? And sometimes I feel like they they gravitate towards these really kind of superficial labels um, of who they are. And then, you know, this, this idea of always choosing what you want, and it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes I think we have to be a bit more, humble and understand like they life's going to dish us stuff and it's how we step up that kind of defines us or might give us our purpose. And so I wish we'd do a little bit of a blend of the two because I don't think it's linear Um because it's just too random to be linear. I mean, sometimes like, it, for instance, I I had started, you know, we so I have something called the Educators Lab. We say that we're, you know, change consultants in education. And when I got started, I was mostly focused on agility, you know, like, how do I help support people so they work on their ideas? And then as we keep going, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on with democracy right now? And then so, you know, you pivot a little bit, like, okay, how do we be more agile so that we we're civically engaged in that, you know, <laughs> our countries persevere because I don't think we're setting our students up for anything great right now with with the way, with the political landscape where they're going to inherit, or even with sustainability or climate action, you know, all of a sudden it's like, it, it became, even for me, like I had that, that tipping point where I was like, oh my God, this is way worse than I thought. Um, where, you know, you pivot and you realize you you don't have a choice. Like I, you know, I feel morally obligated. I I must do this. This is the, the this is urgent. Um, and I, I yeah. So I think sometimes when we think about these pathways as being linear, they're not, I mean, you just, I, that's not how, for me, life is not very linear with, with this kind of stuff. I feel like it's, I mean, it's very hard to have a five-year plan, isn't there? Is a quote on this, no? Like,
0: yeah, that's it.
1: Make <laughs> like, a plan, the, the world laughs. I mean, it's just yeah,
0: yes. And and that again, that leads me to, beautifully to a conversation I had recently with uh, with Lee Tao on on LinkedIn through because I draw a lot of my of of my inspiration from nature. I love observing nature and Mother Earth, and I, and you know, I was sort of saying how like I'm looking at the daffodils right now and like emerging in in spring. Um, and I was saying, isn't it interesting that all those daffodils are just being daffodils? They're like being together in this in this sort of club of daffodils and they're not to me, it's like they don't they're not comparing themselves as just being there and one's taller, one's yellower, or you know, all of these things, and isn't it beautiful? But also, you know I was saying, if you look at Mother Earth, Mother Earth says yes. Even to us who are like actually doing quite a lot of damage to our um, to our Earth, right? Right now, with with all the fossil fuels and everything else. And Lee said, "What would happen if we were a bit more like Mother Earth in the sense that we were doing a bit more improv, like the yes and, you know, and and going back to your your point of, uh, you know, sometimes things happen and you know that you don't have a choice." Um, i I do think that it's really important that our young people understand that because the teenage brain is a really selfish brain and rightly so because, right, they have to establish and become independent. But the, if we don't remind them of those things, then, you know, there's there's also that dichotomy or that issue, right, where they just become this, well, it's all about me and, and all of those things. So I think it's an and, 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 right? It's not an either or. Um, so sorry, I've given you an awful lot in, in these sort of few sentences, but I just, I don't know. I wonder what would happen if we took the yes and like improv a bit more accepting of, of what is.
1: So I actually, I don't know if I would, I would be curious about that. I don't know if the teenage brain isn't necessarily the selfish brain. I think it's, do we give them the space to do that? Like, for instance, my... Um, you know, my, and I, I had read this, but like I, my, my girls are four, seven, and eight, and they can do chores. I mean, I don't need to be the one to empty that. They can already do that. And they seem happier with the responsibility. So sometimes I wonder if we because but the adults need to be mindful and give the responsibility. Cause I think sometimes what's a little bit hard is, um just unlearning as an adult or or stay because actually the one of the first thing you you were when you mentioned the daffodils I was kind of I was thinking so I um I haven't mown very much because all the flowers are blooming and so you know I've been reading about how to have a more like biodiverse garden and so those are the first flowers you know so that come in and I live near uh some very old couples, and I am absolutely positive they peer through my hedges and they're like, These lazy people don't take care of the garden, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And for me, though, I would like to have a garden that looks, you know, a little bit wilder and whatnot because I think it's better. But I was thinking about this of how, you know, you know, because they probably assume the same for me, right? Like I'm being lazy, or I'm being this, because I—I I mean, I'm not young, but I'm much younger than they are. Um, and so, you know, so they—they're saying this, and it's you know just a mindset shift. So I think some of this with the improv is also just being aware of shifting mentalities and shifting ways of doing things. And are we giving people? the space to do that, because I, I I don't know, I just made me think of this, because, for instance, if here, if you don't, you know, they'll call the HOA or this, and then all of a sudden, you're obligated to mow, because that's the way it's always been done, um, or this type of thing, so I, I you know, I wonder that with with the improv thing of how often are we having conversations? Do we know what people's intentions are? And, um, you know, are we able to embrace new ways of doing things? Because it's just so quick to look out and see what other people are doing and judge when I think a lot of people are trying to do these other ways of living. Um, but it's a big shift. So. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so the one thing about the, 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 the what i was before i move on to like the what you just said those teenage brain is selfish it's because if you look at the neuroscience and the and the well and and all of the research in terms of that is because we know obviously what i when i say that as being selfish is because they they need to uh, a a time where the imprint of the parents of of the guardians of the person is is they have that space where they can just really decide who they are um, and find that out for themselves. And if they were not able to sort of go to parents, well, no, sorry, or, you know, like wanting to do their own things, then that wouldn't necessarily happen. And so it's it that's that's why it's really healthy. And if you look at the like tribal, I find it really fascinating how when we, we lived in in tribes and in caves, like do you can see how the uh, adults and the younger children would stay at the back of the cave at in the evening and sleep, and the teenagers or you know, like the younger ones would actually stay by the fire because they then need to create their own tribes and you know, sort of go off. And so that when I when I talk about the selfish brain, it's that for me, it's the not necessarily it's all about me, myself and I. And, you know, I, I do think it's I do. I see that with my own teenagers. They love being part of the family and being part of a team. Um, but but I also see how they like push back a lot more when they don't agree. And and then that links to what you were saying about the, the different the mindsets and um I do think that in education and in life generally it is requiring of us to change the way we think about things or you know this is the way we've always done this so um, you know I'm always reminded of this beautiful story because I find it so funny you know like the 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 Wife, who just cuts the end of the meat and the husband goes why do you do that oh I don't know mum used to do it and they ask the mum and the mum goes well I don't know and like well that, let's ask grandma and then grandma says because the pan was too small so that to me is like exactly what you were saying right we we don't and I wonder how because we live in such a fast-paced world and also, I guess, you know, like having conversations and knowing what the intentions are, I don't feel like we have that space to truly have healthy, wonderful conversations like we're being privileged to have right now. Um, so again, no, sorry, I've, I've given you quite a lot, but I wonder what, what pops up for you.
1: Uh, I think just this thing on intentional conversations, you know, like, for instance, that was really helpful for me for you to clarify what that meant, because I assumed and I was wrong. Um, but it, like, yeah, like, I mean, I think having just the ability to have deeper discussions and like have the back and forth and just explore things. I mean, just explore ideas, uh, even with, um, you know, going kind of back to this idea on like changing mentalities. You know, we talk about school and so many of the things that we do, it's just because we've always done it that way. And it's just really hard to shift the paradigm. Like, even my children for birthday parties um I for goodie bags I don't want to buy a little little plastic junk like I think it's just such a waste so so now I'm happy to like give a cookie or something they could eat but you know but I don't want to do you know the waste stuff or I put no gifts uh for my and and they get a gift from from me and you know from their grandparents if if all three girls they have three birthdays back to back if they all had everyone bring gifts, it's thirty. Pre- we don't need thirty presents. Like it's just, it's just too much. And so this degrowth thing comes into play. But you can see people are uncomfortable. Like, but I can't come in empty-handed because that's the cultural norm, which I totally understand as well. Um, and so it's, it's, it's also some of this stuff of like as things shift, even. And I, I brought up this example because we talk about changing education. The most mundane of examples cause problems, me not mowing for an extra week because of the flowers, how to, what do you mean no gifts at the birthday party? I mean, the most mundane things cause stress for people. And so I think as we explore some of these bigger challenges like overhauling education, um, (laughs) I mean, of course it gets complicated, but how do we help people navigate change and and not get overwhelmed, but understand like, this is a normal part of growing in life, and just to help people get more comfortable with doing things differently and being okay with it, you know, and starting new norms, if you will. So I think this is something where, I, and I don't have answers on that at all. Um, I know when we talk about agility, we have a piece on managing relationships, and you know, we do say any any idea you have, any change you do, is. Is a change for someone else usually, and change causes stress for people. So, how do you include people in this conversation? How do you include them in the dialogue? Because I think when people know why changes are happening, they're much less stressed about it.
0: And I guess it's like it goes back to what we've just done, right? I sort of reclarified what I meant, and and you know, you, you've also. I wonder whether if we if we you know. So I wonder whether what needs to happen more is that space right for those conversations and also for more i mean i don't know if if the right word is honesty or you know like being sharing openly um because once we know what the intention like i wonder if, if if your neighbors knew what the deep intention is right like the the reason you're not Mowing is because those beautiful flowers are coming, and and therefore you know that is also linked to our bees and and the insects and everything else, right? I wonder whether that would. I mean, I'll go back to my own experience. I've I've literally been live wired and changed through the conversations for the podcast, and I've. My my way of thinking has definitely changed over the last two years, in particular, you know, much more than before, because of the conversations I've been having, and because I've had I've I've had the gift of having more space to have those conversations. And so I wonder whether we could just plant more. You know, it's like planting seeds, right? You just it might it might you know one of the seeds might come out into something or blossom. It might not. yeah so I don't know I I wonder whether that that might be something that happens more
1: well I think what you're doing too is having intentional conversations and I don't know how often we have spaces for that I mean in social media for instance um uh one thing I like we talk a lot about curiosity in schools and then I have to wonder about tolerance, like how tolerant are we of questions or you know, or I don't know, you don't even know that or um, but on social media, for instance, I see people just get jumped on. Like they might put a line or a question. And I mean, everyone just assumes the absolute at worst. And I'm not saying like they don't ask a clarifying question or nothing. It's just like, you're a horrible human kind of thing. And I'm like, wow, this is really not where we should be. Um, and so I think if we're to be, um, more open and to evolve a bit more, I think we need to actively seek communication. Like if you don't understand what someone's saying, you know, or I just have a nice conversation about it. There's a way to move a dialogue forward. Um, but I think, for instance, on social media and and maybe young people do it better than people my age, I I really wouldn't know. Um, But this is one of those things where I wonder how much we give um, people uh, an opportunity to practice what communication looks like in today's world. Uh, you know, I'm actually still one of the, actually, I had seen this. There was, so I get all of the Gen Z, millennial, blah, blah, blah. I don't know who's who, but sometimes I will watch a little sketch on them and just be like, oh, I, m- I must be that one, like based on the generalizations of what we do. <laughs> so, okay, so I still call people. I still will just call people. If you're my friend and I have something to say, I will just call you. I'm not going to text you for, I just call. Um, and I understand some people have different communication styles. Um, so, you know, if I have a friend that's a texter, for, fine. But for the most part, I just call. Um, and so I had heard that younger people, you, no one would ever do this. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so, <laughs> um, but there was like a different protocol. Like if you wanted to, to get a hold of somebody, or also to um, like it's very rare. Like no one, my no one I know would just stop by my house. Like, uh, but when I was a kid, I remember that would be normal. Like someone could just stop by your house, and no one would think anything of it. Um, and so, point being, communication has changed, and how do we evolve with that so we're all on board with what good communication looks like? So if you are communicating mostly with text or social media. You know, how do you have deep and intentional conversations with that I don't know I can honestly say a text message exchange with me you're not getting much I I'm just not a good it's not I have to see <laughs> someone's face. that's how I'm used to communicating. Um, or even on the phone, I can hear in their voice. Like I, I need, I need certain cues to have a conversation. So if you were to ask me to communicate effectively via text message, I would not, I would not be able to. Um, but it, you know, for some people, that is their main mode of conversation. So sometimes I wonder, with all of this, and this again, this is another thing where I think about school and if we're being agile. Um, are we helping people to effectively have intentional conversations to communicate well and through whatever? you know, mode that they use now, because that's, a, that's something that's out of our control. You know, if if a lot of young people are mostly using, you know, XYZ on to, to talk to people, okay, how do we make sure they're doing it in a way that's mindful, that's not stressful, and that's effective? And I think those are, you know, worthwhile things to think about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. and And I think also, because it goes back to what you you were saying about like you no know, sort of civic and you know, d- d- democratic and all of those things I do see like in my research I talk about flourishing and then languishing or in survival and I do I, I saw that with the students So the students who were more in survival or languishing tend to just like revert to focusing on themselves right because in survival you just feel like you have to protect yourself um, and I wonder whether, like you, I hate going on on places like Twitter. I, I avoid it like plague and even Facebook, because I, I just I'm someone who, who really crave genuine, genuine sort of like really deep conversations. And I always separate the the behavior and the person. I don't think you need to just automatically assume that people have bad intentions. You know, they may say something and you don't agree. And, you know, like, great, you just have a fantastic conversation and evolve in the process. Right. Um, But I do think that um, because many people may be in survival, maybe like feeling, overwhelmed and and but they're not always expressing that then it comes out in other ways right it's just sort of you might then jump on someone and just say you're an idiot or whatever and then you don't have conversations um and i completely agree around like the change so my, my eldest is almost 16 um and he will not ring unless he's like completely stuck and then he then he'll pick up the phone because he has no other choice but otherwise you get a text message and or a picture that just says it might take me a bit longer to get home like I did yesterday um and so if for me, who is like you, likes to have a conversation, it's like, oh, OK, so how do we engage? You know, And then we go back to this conversation. It's how do we bring all of those generations together? Right. Because, you know, and that links also to AI and technology, because there's a lot of conversations these days around. Well, education anyway, we don't need to worry because a chat GPT is here and we don't need the teachers and you know, and so the tech will save us all, or the tech will be the answer. And it feels to me like we 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 swing pendulums and we go into like extremes. It'll be won't be this, it'll be this. And it's like the that either or as opposed to an and 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 um yeah. And so, again, I'd, I'd love your, you like, do you have any thoughts on, on, like, the intergenerational, how we bring everybody together to have those conversations?
1: Yeah. I will say, like, the pendulum swing, I don't, I agree with. I think this happens a lot. And to me, too much of anything is bad. I think everybody needs to embrace nuance a little bit more. Um, I think with the intergenerational, I think it's just worthwhile to have more conversations on communication because you know we were talking about being agile, you know, pathways to kind of action. Usually, this does require communication, um, and I think we do just need to be mindful of how we communicate if we're involving people. I also think for well-being purposes, if you're not well, you usually can't do the bigger stuff, um, and so I do think that it is critical that you know on on multiple. Again, on multiple fronts, you need to be able to communicate, um, and how that how that is might look different. But I think it's worthwhile to just I think just being mindful of that. Um, you know, when you're in a setting and you need to work with people, like I'm very proactive with the communication because I've noticed as long as somebody's aware, usually they're not stressed. So it's it's kind of one of these things. Like uh, I think most adults can relate to this example. I don't know the plumber or somebody needs to come to your house they're supposed to arrive at Wednesday. They've given you a six hour window <laughs> and you're kind of like, Oh my God, when are they going to show up? So all of a sudden it's the end of the six hour window and no one's called you and you're, you're frustrated, right? Because you're like, okay, I waited here all day. I bit, you know, nobody called me. And I, you know, I was thinking about that. Like how often if the person had called you the day before and said, Hey, I won't be able to make it or, hey, I will actually make it exactly at 1030. You're so much happier because you are just aware your expectations have been managed. You feel good. And so I think communication, regardless of how it happens, usually just boils down to being considerate and respectful of the other people. So, for instance, like, if, you know, if my neighbors. um you know, did bring, which sometimes they would, but if they did ask, they, uh, you know, they like I have one neighbor, she would just ask. She would ask me. She wouldn't go straight to, you know, local authorities or, you know, anything. she would just ask. And then because she's mindful enough to ask, then it's solved. And I think it's the same thing, whether it's text message or on social media. Um, You know, if you notice that you're being explosive and just want to lash out at somebody online, you know, that should be a cue to you to take a step back because that's not effective communication that's not going to solve anything it's not going to go anywhere um but being more mindful i think of communication and all the ways in which it contributes to um well-being change agility etc is is good
0: yeah i love that so i think so would you say communication like probably is key in those pathway to action um and are there any other elements that we haven't discussed that people oh, so may good. find?
1: I do think communication is a critical ingredient because um, I think communication also segues into like being empathetic. Uh, usually you, you need communication to understand <laughs> the needs and, and whatnot of others. So I feel like for instance, when we're trying new things, um, it's important we talk to the other people that we're working with uh, so that we design something that's effective. Um, so I do think communication is a, is a really good ingredient for, um, I mean, just about everything. I mean, it's just such a critical skill to me. Um, but when we talk about kind of pathways to action, uh, as far as, you know, changing education or addressing the climate emergency, um, I think this is where we also get really a lot more creative in what we do and the pathways we provide. Uh, our youth. So I think we were talking about this before um, the podcast started, but uh, we were mentioning climate anxiety and, you know, how do you help people feel more hopeful? And I think helping people to do something is one of the best ways to make them feel hopeful and feel okay about the situation. Um, And when we were looking at that, I think, um, especially, and I'll, I'll focus right now on like climate emergency, kind of stuff, but, you know, we're looking at how do we help students. So, you know, usually right now when I see workshops around this, it tends to be on like, you know, personal actions that students can take, which is great. Um, But I think also we can focus on, you know, what, what will kids do in their professional lives. Um, I think having meaningful work is one of your greatest ways to make an impact. And I think, uh, you know, green skills will end up disrupting almost every profession, right? So I don't care if it's education, healthcare, banking. I mean, we're, we're seeing it disrupt everything. And so I think being mindful of those opportunities and creating more pathways into what that looks like in the workspace is really key. Um, I think another thing is we had mentioned civics briefly, but you know when we talk about civic engagement and law, how do you make you know nature more of a part of governance, um, so that it is a priority? And I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, it was interesting. Um, We on this, there's this one group, uh, they're called generation 180 in the US and they're really helping schools convert to clean infrastructure so how do we help schools convert to solar electric buses so that their operations are more sustainable. Um, So that's something that's great. And one thing that was interesting is we're like, how do people get started on this, you know, because sometimes the getting started is the hardest part. And what was interesting is how many students were creating movements to get things started. So I think there was a student group that was uh, working hard and getting legislation passed in Oregon to make climate literacy a part of the curriculum. Um, Because of this one student group in Denver, they got a sustainability director hired in their public schools. Um, Sometimes I think we forget that our town hall exists. We're so worried about what our national governments are doing, sometimes our state. that we forget that you can go to the local town hall and you can do something make composting a norm. If you if your town doesn't have compost infrastructure to collect compost like that's you know why. <laughs> um it, but but you see that you can go for that or you know plastic bags even in the US it's taken a long time I think and we're still working out on places of getting rid of plastic bags at grocery stores and these are all things where you know you can push you can in the us we have lobbies i mean but you can join a lobby you can go to town hall you can you know join a movement but it's it's easy to get involved in these sorts of things a lot easier than we might think um and then i also think we have you know your your entrepreneurial thinking we started out talking about social entrepreneurship um, schools say they want innovators Uh, So how do we help students practice using their innovation for good? And this is simply creating, you know, uh, I think constraints in some of the things that we can do. So number one, talk about impact with students. What is it? What does it mean? What does it look like? And then in even normal pedagogy, I don't care if you're doing STEAM or STEM, project-based learning, let's say you have a class on entrepreneurship, create a constraint so students understand like Okay, how is this making an impact to my business? So, if let's say students come up with a coffee shop, have them think about their supply chain. Have them think about the materials they use, where they source the coffee, how they pay their employees. Um, putting these kind of constraints on saying like, how do you do this, but do it. Well, um, so that it does make an impact. This is the mindset we want kids to have. Uh, If you're running a science fair, or you have a maker space, don't just, you know, do an egg drop. I mean, that's fine to do it. It's great. But how can you do one that's more impactful? Like, hey, here's a local problem. Uh, we need a way to clean the water here in our in our creek have them do something that you know gives them that mindset of okay how do I do this and it makes an impact Um, and I think this is something that is an easy plug in a lot of our pedagogy and 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 curriculum I think it's something that we can easily shift just a little bit so it's a little bit more impact purpose-driven but lots of pathways I think I think that's the thing is when, when things are bad, you almost have everything you can do to make it better. So why not focus on that? You know, you can't go wrong. And I guess what I heard you say several
0: times without really saying it, um, and I wonder whether maybe we need to say it uh, out loud because of that shift of mindset, is yeah that by impact we don't mean just focusing solely on how do i make the planet better for me human being right it's it's not just about us um which also is something that i know you you care deeply about but you know this anthropocentric sort of approach that we tend to have it's like you know it's all about me as a human being and how so So, how does that impact look like if we think about absolutely everybody? I guess.
1: Yeah, I think that, and that's a matter of simply stating it, like you just did, and being intentional and putting the constraint. You know, if you have students create a business okay, if society is using 50% more resources than we have, what's going to happen, guys? So, I mean, we have to live within the balance. Um, And I think we do need to be mindful of our planet and of all the biodiversity because every little thing has its place. And I think making, um, I think being intentional about those conversations and making students more conscientious helps because part of the reason, you know, You know, our generation and older is unlearning this is because I don't remember anyone really ever telling me that. Um, And so, you know, then you, you as as you get older and you're like, oh my gosh, why are we doing so many stuff? It's not sustainable. Like it can't sustain. So for me, I think my turning point was having children, and then thinking about the world they were going to inherit and I kind of like it there is uh I had learned about this um, thing it was called foresight labs and I like it because uh though I guess with the way they framed it it's like it's great to have a futures literacy but the future has multiple scenarios and it really depends on the actions of today (laughs) and so I think um making students aware of like when we talk about the future there's multiple different futures which one do you want And how do you work towards that because the future is now our actions right now are will shape that and I think when. um, Again it's just having these intentional conversations because I don't remember it being put that way I, I was actually telling my husband, I can still remember I think in second grade Al Gore. I was reading my weekly reader, which was this little two-page um, magazine like the teachers gave us, and it was on climate change and it was saying like in you know in the 2020s. And I remember, you know, I so I, I actually do remember, I was like, How old will I be? <laughs> it was do some math. And I was like, why aren't why is no one doing anything about this? This sounds really bad. And then it just went away. I remember not and you know, that was in the 90s. I remember not really like 2000, I don't remember really hearing anything about climate change. Um, and then now I'm like, wow, so we really should have started at that 19, you know, <laughs> 92 date um, on some of this stuff because we're given a really short window to do like decades worth of work. Um, but to me, that's just kind of a long winded way of realizing the importance of futures literacy and understanding that there's multiple scenarios and that we need to decide which one we'd like to work towards.
0: And it's again, the intention, right? It's like, it's, it's what are we going to do? And, uh, and for me, it's also the narratives. So it's like, what stories are we spinning? And what stories are we listening to? Because it's so easy to listen to, you know, again, Joanna Macy in Active Hope talks about like the three, three types of stories, right? There's the people who are like business as usual and growth. Um, we need growth is the answer and then there's the people is like oh my god there's a crisis and that's it and the world is falling apart and then there's people who are actually like yourself and I know like Benjamin you're doing the uh, this amazing work work with like nature on the board etc you know people who are already doing amazing things and that this is why why I've created the podcast because I think we need to shine the light on amazing human beings like you so we can just you know, when I feel hopeless or a bit down I just turn to people like you and I just go yeah look there's people doing these things and that's really positive
1: well thanks for the kind words I do think you you, I think you tapped into something really nice though too is I think in schools you know we were talked about the hamster wheel I think it's really key that we look for those people that are doing something because one thing I remember loving about the social entrepreneur space is even if it felt sometimes reading the news like the world was falling apart i knew that for every problem out there there was someone actively working on it and it just it just gives you a more hopeful positive outlook on things uh you know the expression someone had i i, I don't know where i had heard this it might have been from a film but basically um, something bad happened and the child's watching the news and the mom's like, look for the helper. There's always the helper. And I think that's what we need to start doing even in our own little personal spaces because when we do feel in a rut, trust me, there is someone out there working on what you care about. And I think when you surround yourself with the people that are doing stuff or energizing or having different conversations, I think it can help elevate your mood. I know I've had to do that. And I, I I, aim as well to surround myself with, you know, people that are doing things and having positive conversations because um, it keeps me going.
0: Yeah, amazing. Yeah, look out for the helpers. I love that. That's amazing. So Michelle, I could talk to you for hours, <laughs> but I'm also conscious that you have, a, you know, a, a a sick child, as you said, who probably exactly. wants Feeling yes. good about stay <laughs> <Exactly>. right now. <laughs> so maybe we can have more conversations. I'm hoping that this is like the the start of many more conversations, and I can invite you for the podcast and continue the conversation um, outside. Um, but that said, there's two. I've got two last questions for you before I let you go. The first one is, if our um, listeners have really resonated with with what you've just said. Sometimes I just, I ask my my guests, you know, is there one book that got you started? So you would like talking about social entre- entrepreneurship, for example, or any book that really, when you were starting in your journey, really resonated with you that you think the listeners may enjoy. It doesn't have to be one, it can be many.
1: Um, I, so one book that made an impression on me, it has nothing to do with social entrepreneurship was, um, I think I have it up here it was called human humanity i think sorry uh, i think it's by john glover i want to say i'm not positive but it was a book about history in the scope of just human civilization and kind of human suffering so i'm not going to lie it's not the most uplifting read but it made me realize that we're humans. And this point in time, we're not special. Every generation has had its challenges. And I think, again, it's how do we step up? And I think, um, I don't know, I think reading it, though, just gave me a very different outlook. When we when we kind of talk about, you know, this, we were talking about futures, literacy and whatnot. We We don't, we really don't know what's going to happen, you know, and we do have these different scenarios. But in reading the past and what has caused human suffering, um, there were some clear patterns. And so it made me wonder how we prevent those things from the future because, um, yeah, anyways, when we talk about, you know, purpose and what the world demands from us, I think it's a healthy blend of remembering kind of we're not special, we're part of the human race. Um, And, you know, nature will always remain. Uh, But I I think it's good to just, um take a look and be kind of humbled by that because I mean all we can do is what we're you know what we're set up for in our time Um, as far as social entrepreneurship uh just go with the classics of the business model canvas or the lean startup Um, I think uh Ashoka is a leading organization in social entrepreneurship so sometimes following organizations like like them are really great they also have a lot of opportunities uh to engage young people in things like change making Um, I also really like, I follow world economic forum on LinkedIn and every day they have a video about something really cool that's happening in some part of the world. I don't care if it's policy business, uh, whatnot, but it's a really, it just makes me believe in human ingenuity. And so people are doing things. And so I love waking up kind of to that because it's like, you know, it's because the news is usually going to show me something probably not as good, but that shows me that there is that one person working towards the problem
0: amazing and that fits in really beautifully with what you said like look for the helpers right
1: <laughs> look for the people you who actively things. seek them yes um, <laughs> yeah, well thank amazing. you so much for having me on this was really a pleasure and I definitely hope we can have more chats
0: yeah so do I um have a lovely day um Michelle and lovely to connect again and I'll speak to you really soon and I hope your your daughter gets well really soon as well
1: Thank you. She just peaked her so I'm gonna to go to check on her some more. Okay. <laughs> take gonna, care. Take Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHe on LinkedIn, or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much, and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.